Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. What a perfect song to sing as we close our James series. Can you believe it? 10 weeks of going through the book of James. Has it been a gift to the body here as we've walked through this? Um, What a way to close it this morning uh, with this song. Here's why I like that song to close is uh, it's such a reminder as James has called us to 54 commands, 108 verses. It's a picture to me that uh, he walks with us even in our obedience, our obedience and our faithfulness. It's him operating through us. We don't have to conjure it up on our own. We don't have to white knuckle obedience. The battle belongs to him. It's him working through us. What a great reminder even as we close out this book. Uh, And as we close out this book, I I real quickly want to remind ourselves where we started 10 weeks ago and remind ourselves who James was writing to. He was writing to uh, uh, the early church, a group of Messianic Jews, a group of, of, of Jewish men and women who have completely had their paradigm turned upside down. They are uh, Jewish, who, uh, Jewish men and women who believe that Christ is in fact the Messiah, the, the Son of God. Uh, and so it's easy for us sometimes to over-romanticize the early church and assume that they had their, everything put together and that they knew exactly what to do. But in reality, the early church, as we've been consistently saying, starting 10 weeks ago, they were facing persecution. They had watched their friend Stephen be martyred. They were facing confusion as to what does the life of following God look like now, now that Christ has died for us on the cross and for our sins. And they were also facing hypocrisy and, 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 and false teaching that was sneaking into the ranks where that confusion led and, and it was causing more pain and struggle. And so this early church is a group of weary, struggling believers. They are indeed saved, and yet Christ, uh, yet James is trying to teach them what it looks like to be steadfast. We've said it again and again. James is trying to teach us and them what does it look like to live single-minded, stable, and undefiled lives. We've been saved. He's writing to a group of saved believers, but like a good shepherd, he's shepherding them in the direction of steadfastness. And it's such a good reminder. And he's gonna close his letter with eight verses with really one big final substantial activity that will help them grow in steadfastness. And so let's read these eight verses together and see if you can't spot the one substantial activity. It's gonna show up seven times in these eight verses. Let's read it. James 5 verse 13 says, "'Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. "'Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise.'" Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil and in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. 
My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, what's that one word that kept showing up? Well, what? Pray, prayer, good. We're on the right track. That's awesome. And James is basically saying, hey, early church, no matter what you're facing, you may be weary, you may be struggling, but a steadfast life is a praying life. No matter if it's suffering, no matter if it's sickness, no matter if it's a war against sin, no matter if there's straying that's happening, it's prayer that is one of the first things that we need to turn to to move from being saved to growing in steadfastness. And James is calling us to that. Now, sometimes when we say prayer, like on one hand, we know what we mean by that. And yet, if we're being really honest, prayer is also like a bit of a mystery, right? It's like, exactly how is this working? Is, how is my words interacting with God's ears? And is that accomplishing anything ultimately? And so it's a, it's a good reminder to just go, hey, what are some basic truths about prayer that, that, that James' audience probably understood? The first is at its very basic core, right? Prayer is talking to God. And it can also include listening to him as well. But every time I pray, there's a couple things that, that always resonate deep in my heart. The first is that uh, every time I pray, I'm reminded I'm not the one in control, that there's a sovereign being in control, and that's why I'm praying. I'm praying to that God that's in control of all things, that holds all things together, Scripture says. And I'm also reminded that uh, this God calls us to prayer. He delights in the prayers of his saints, and he wants us in a conversation with him. And it's that picture of this is not a distant God that we serve. This is not a distant God that has died for us on the cross. This is a God that wants to be walking with us in relationship with us, communing and conversating with us along the way. And it's such a sweet gift when I begin to view prayer as that means, as, as it's just a, a picture of God's desire to be in a relationship with us. And then I like what others have said before and I'll kind of adjust the quote a little bit, but prayer is less about getting man's will done in heaven than it's more about getting God's will done on earth. Prayer is not me trying to convince God to change his heart. Prayer ultimately is God's heart and God's will beginning to inform and change my heart. I think that's one of the best ways to begin to look at prayer. And this is what James is exhorting them to do, just going, if you want to be single-minded, stable, and undefiled early church, then a steadfast life needs to be a praying life. And in the same way as the early church, we're no different. We have our struggles. We have our suffering. It, to be clear, it looked different than the early church. We don't face the degree of persecution that the early church faced. We might in the future, at least here in America. But uh, whether it's suffering, whether it's sickness, whether it's sin or whether it's straying, that's what James is gonna point out to do is we've gotta be a people of prayer. That's the outline for this morning. And the goal is uh, we wanna be a people, we wanna get to a place in the service where we get to model this passage. But before we model, let's dive in, let's work through the passage, let's get to the heart of it and even address some of the interpretive challenges that it stirs up. So first up is our need to pray while we are suffering. Verse 13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray, James writes. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, let me unpack a couple of those words. The word for suffering is a very 
general word. It's a, it's a global word. It, it, it was used in the context 2,000 years ago, sometimes to mean hardships that arise from war, but it was also used in ways to just describe hardships of just ordinary life. And so really anything in between, basically James is reiterating, if you're facing a trial of various kinds here, you have reason to pray. And then when he says, uh, is anyone cheerful? That doesn't mean that you're just happy that trials are coming your way, but it means you're standing firm and confident in, in who Christ is and that you can count on him. And that's the reason for your cheerfulness. Well then sing praise if that's the case. And as you read this verse, it, it, it's, it's kind of a reminder where James started his letter, right? In verse two of, of James chapter one, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, when you meet suffering, because he goes on to talk about that it's gonna produce steadfastness. Then in verse five, he, he kind of reiterates, so, but if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you are like, why is this trial happening? Why am I suffering? What do you do? Ask God. Pray to God who gives generously to all without approach and it will be given to you. God wants to give you the wisdoms and strength and endurance for whatever suffering you have. And so we are absolutely supposed to seek God in the midst of our suffering. It's what believers do. I remember a lot of times, especially in the, my early time on staff, I'd get, many of you would come up to me and say, hey, how can I be praying for you? And I thought it was like a badge of honor to be like, I'm doing great, but thanks for asking. When really, I was rejecting a great means of grace. I should always be. There's always, there's various trials of, of various kinds of trials happening in my life all the time and in your life all the time. And what James is saying, it is a Christian thing to do, to pray to God for strength during those and for wisdom, and then to also let others pray for you. And so don't miss out on that gift. It's what we do. It's one of the things that we do when we're suffering. And even as for those of us that feel like we're in a good place and we're standing firm, we're gonna have a chance later today to just sing. What a great testimony. That's another way of conversing with God is to sing back praise to him. In a way, it's almost like praying. And then James in verses 14 through 16, he's gonna kind of combine two of the ideas that I'm gonna split up a little bit. But he's gonna talk about praying with, uh, with sickness and amidst sickness. And he's gonna also talk about praying in our war against sin. And he's gonna combine the two and I'm gonna separate them uh, because yes, it is true that sometimes our sickness comes from our sin. Sometimes the way we've lived produces uh, sickness in our life or a disease or anything like that. But it's also true that sometimes in a fallen Genesis three world that sickness just enters into our world through no fault of our own. And so I wanna address both issues. And so this second area where we need to be praying is amidst our sickness. In verse 14, he says, is anyone among you sick? Again, a very general word. It could mean weariness or fatigue, or it could mean someone that's on their deathbed or anything in between. If you are in this position, here's a great thing to do. Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. It's such a reminder, and I hope you hear this. Our elders want to be praying for you. It's one of the reasons why two or three of them are down front every service on Sunday is because they wanna to get to know you. They wanna know how they can be praying for you and interacting with you. Another thing they do, you may not know this, they gather a couple of times each week. On Thursday mornings, they gather for the sole purpose of praying for the body. Sometimes they're praying for specific needs that they know about, and sometimes they're just praying for the corporate needs of the body. But either way, you are not troubling the elders when you invite them to pray for you. 
You are helping them fulfill their duty and their responsibility. It's a great thing to do, especially in a sickness, is to call and, 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 and let the elders be praying for you. And it says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. What does anointing him with oil mean? If you've been with us for, frankly, just weeks or months or years, I, I don't think you've ever seen an oil jar up here on stage, especially at the end of the service, right? I mean, stop me if you, if you have, but what does that phrase mean? And, and let's give a little bit of attention to it because it's a, it's a four-word phrase that has been misunderstood and misused by many, frankly. And whenever you hit a little chunk of, 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 of scripture that you're like, what does that mean? A great practice is to let other scripture inform scripture. And so what I think all that anointing him with oil means is to encourage that person to seek medical treatment. Look at Luke 10, 34 with me. This is exactly what the good Samaritan did with the man that had been jumped by the robbers. What did the good Samaritan do? It, scripture says he went to him, the injured man, bound him up, bound up his wounds and poured on him oil and wine. He gave him medical treatment, which in that day would have been oil, maybe potentially olive oil uh, is what he would have done. And this would have been just a medical treatment, but don't let those four words distract you from the main point. Anointing with oil is not the description, is not the prescriptive plan. The main verb in this Verse and the main verb throughout this passage is prayer. That's the focus. Prayer is the supernatural means. Prayer is the prescriptive plan for us when we are in sickness. And so what is James ultimately getting at here? James is encouraging the sick to absolutely ask for prayer because James believes, and we believe here at City Bridge, that prayer is a great means to ask God for healing. Because as James believes, and we do here too at City Bridge, is that God sometimes supernaturally heals people, often through the prayers of his people. We believe that. And so we offer up prayers like this in the name of the Lord, and we pray and we believe that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, many of us have prayed for many things in our lives, and some have come true and some have not. God has healed some of our friends from sickness and God has not healed some of our, thing, from of our friends and family from sickness. And it's that reminder that I gave us at the beginning is sometimes prayer is not about getting man's will done up in heaven, but it is about getting God's will done on earth. And so we pray bold and we pray confident that God is able to, absolutely able to heal any disease. And yet sometimes he chooses not to. It's exactly where my family was last year for three months. We believed this verse, still believe it to be true. And we prayed bold prayers for my mom who had pancreatic cancer. And for three months, we prayed like crazy, laying hands on her, praying over her. And for whatever reason, God in his infinite wisdom, the sovereign being didn't answer our prayers in the ways that we were hoping that he would. Now look, you can look back on this verse and maybe in, with the hindsight of eternity, we might look back and go, oh my gosh, that's exactly what happened is the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord has raised her up. We believe that has happened. And maybe one day we'll see it and go, that verse, absolutely, that prayer absolutely was answered. But even as it wasn't answered as we wanted it to here and now, I will tell you this about those three months is they were a gift is I reminded myself and, and my mom, as we sat there, we just reminded her that our lives are, are just in the hands of the Lord and we trust him ultimately with the outcome of our lives. 
And those three months were this, this moment for both my mom and for me where we grew closer to the Lord because of our desperate prayers and it was a gift to us. And it was this picture of God's will changing our hearts along the way. And it was a gift. And so if you are sick, please, we want to be praying for you. You don't have to wear a badge of honor. You may be having a right perspective on it and still let us be praying for you. What a great gift that would be to us. And then we need to be praying in our war against sin. James moves from, and you can see how they're connected because in the middle of 15, he goes, and if he, this person has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So he says, therefore, in light of this, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. This is an often quoted verse here from this pulpit on Tuesday nights, on Monday nights, in a variety of ways. We use this verse a lot. We use this verse a lot. And I love what Martin Luther said. Luther says, when I admonish you to confession, church, all I'm doing is I'm admonishing you to be a Christian. It's what Christians do is we confess our sins to one another. We're all in the war against sin in some form or fashion. Some of us are are waging it more effectively than others. Some of us are stuck deep in sin. Both sides, all of us have reason to be confessing our sins to one another. And it's why in community groups, we push for one of the questions that you are to be consistently asking one another is how are you feeding your flesh? What are some areas where you need to be confessing your sin, doing the Christian thing? Because James talked about it in James one, sin has this cycle right? That it starts by tempting us and then luring us and then enticing us. And then it produces desires that produce, that conceive and it turns and hatches into sin. And then before long, it produces death. And for whatever reason, in God's economy, the way to stop that downward spiral is to get sin into the light. Confessing it to another human being, another follower of Jesus is the way to stop it. Because what happens next is once that person confesses, what are you supposed to do if you're on the receiving end of a confession? You stop and pray for that person. That's what James 16 says, so that they may be healed. I love that picture. I get asked all the time, what do you do? What do you do when someone confesses? What do you tell them to do next? And it's like, yes, I get it. We all have different to-dos for that person. The most pastoral thing you can do in the moment of a confession is to stop and pray for them. And if you're wondering what I do when someone confesses to me, when someone invites me into that deep privilege, we, we go straight to prayer and I do three things. I just stop and I thank God for their humility and courage to get sin into the light. And I pray that God would continue to multiply that humility and courage in the days, weeks, and months ahead as they walk in that humility. I, two, we celebrate that that sin has been paid for if they're a believer, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We celebrate Christ's blood in that prayer. And then the third thing is, is we pray, I pray for myself and other friends that we wouldn't just make this about a quick prayer and then discard them, but that, that we would be praying even for the believers within this church, that we would come alongside, walk with this person, be about helping restore them. And we do that so that we may be healed. We've we've had that ampersand visual for all of James, right? We've talked about, it's not just about hearing. There's gotta be doing. And when you combine those two, there's something powerful that happens. We've talked about it's faith. It's by grace. Any of us have been saved, not by works. There's faith. But when works accompany that faith, there's something powerful to a watching world. And it's same with this. When someone confesses, there is healing power when prayer comes alongside it. 
and begins to blend in with it. And so there's got to be both. And so don't miss out on that opportunity. Now, if you're wondering, is there any specific sin that James is talking about here? Because we all have variety of ditches, right? But as we've been working through the James series, James in kind of his blunt way has been exposing maybe some other sins we've grown callous to. Here, let me just, I put up a, a quick list of different sins that, that, that James is kind of focused on, ones that maybe uh, we're prone to kind of forget about. And even as I've worked through James time and time again, I, 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 there's a lot on this list that is so true of me. There's some trials in my life right now where I don't have joy, I just have grumbling and I have murmuring. And James is gonna be blunt and saying, that's sin. I've talked a lot about being ruled by jealousy and selfish ambition. That's been a battle of mine for the last three or four years, at least one that I'm consciously engaged in. And so I read James 3 and I'm reminded that from jealousy and selfish ambition comes every vile practice, every vile disorder. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I still have work to keep uprooting that stuff for my heart. What about you up there? We have reason to do the Christian thing as we read that list, stop and confess. And so we pray when we're suffering, we pray when we're sick, we pray in our war against sin. And the fourth thing is we pray for the straying. Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power at his working as verse 16 ends. And then he's gonna give us a case, an illustration. He's gonna talk about Elijah. James writes, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently, which is to say he prayed and prayed and prayed that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. James uses Elijah as an example here. This is a story that uh, James is picking up for two verses, but it's, it's, it's chronicled over two chapters in your Old Testament in 1 Kings 17 and 18. And this is Elijah praying. And what's interesting is he's praying for a straying nation. And interestingly, what all that, that Elijah is praying for when he's asking for it not to rain to the Lord is he's actually just praying for God's will to be done on earth. He's praying that God would hold true to what God said in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. You can go investigate. Where, where God said that if, 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 if a nation, my nation becomes disobedient, one of the ways that I'm going to admonish them is I'm gonna withhold the rain from the clouds so that maybe as the land isn't fertile and isn't growing, that maybe the, that, that might stir repentance. It might stir obedience. So all Elijah's doing is praying for God's will to happen on this earth as God so intends. It's interesting. And you're like, yeah, that's great. That's Elijah. He's I'm sure he's a righteous person with great power. And that's why I think James inserts, remember he was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was but a, a man with a sinful nature until God came and rescued him and gave him a mission and a purpose. And so if you've been saved by Christ, the same power of prayer that Elijah had access to is accessible to us as well. And so don't miss out on that. And don't forget that he prayed fervently. And then three and a half years later, it was answered. And so I know for, for some of us, we've been praying fervently for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. And 50 years later, it's overturned. And yet you and I know that there's still work to do in the hearts of our people. And there is still a call upon our church to step into some of the, 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 the pastoral care opportunities that are about to happen. And we've got to continue to be pray, praying and continuing to be prayerful. And we can follow Elijah's examples. We can pray for miracles in our country. And we can pray that we can be agents of healing in our community through our prayers. 
And that's pretty cool stuff. We've done a lot of talking about our city engagement strategy a lot. We've celebrated the clinic, which we should, and we are pouring resources there, which we are so excited to do. We've talked a lot about neighboring and the importance of that. And we absolutely should, but don't mistake that our number one strategy for city engagement is to be on our knees praying for our city. That's absolutely our number one strategy. And we've got to continue to do that. We pray for the straying. And then James closes with these two verses talking about the straying as well. It says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What a great job description for us believers that we are to help track down the straying and the lost and the wandering. Christ gave us the great commission, which is to go and make disciples. And what was happening to this early church is they were being dispersed from Jerusalem. And James is writing, if we're gonna go make a difference in this land, if we're gonna go let our light shine before men, we have got to go pursue the lost and the wandering and the straying. So James is just going, this is our job description. Proverbs 24, 11 says it like this. What a great job description. We are people that are to rescue those who are being taken away to death. We are to hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. It's what Christians do is we are part of the restoration process of those that are around us. We are part of the transformation process. We're not anyone's savior. We're not the ones that can affect heart change. But in the great mystery of God, God uses his church and he uses his people to be a part of the plan, to be a means of grace, a vessel of grace for others' restoration. What a privilege we are invited into. Don't miss out on that. In fact, after this service, just like after last service, I get to listen to a story of baptism that God graciously invited me into and what a gift it was to get to watch. And months and a year plus later, we get to celebrate the baptism. And so as a restorer, we've got to have it in our mind that we are to be patient. We want to measure transformation in days and weeks. And it's a good reminder that even like our transformation, the transformation of other people is often measured in months and years. And so as restorers, we have reason to be praying and to be patient with how we gently restore and come alongside them as Galatians 6 talks about. And if you're in the room today and you think, man, but, but wait, I'm one of the ones that's been wandering from the truth. I'm the one that doesn't even know the truth. Don't miss out on James's last two verses as he closes his book. And I love how he just kind of, you can almost hear his tone change yet again with going, my brothers, listen. Even as we close this book of James, you can begin to taste the goodness of Christ. If you've backslidden and you've wandered away, come back to the truth. Invite us in, confess your sins so that we can come around you and pray for you. Or if you've never known the truth, what a great way today to begin to make that decision to trust and place your trust in Christ's sacrifice for you on the cross and that that paid the penalty of sins. You can know that today and you've not sinned so far to be out of reach of that sacrifice for you. Christ's grace is stronger and so don't miss that. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about CityBridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.